Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight analysis into all of the topics you're discussing in football. It's Wednesday's pod today, which of course means it's one of our favourite times of the week because we get to answer your questions you've put to us, uh, usually on Twitter, sometimes by direct message. Always get in touch, you know we're available for you. I'm Ian McGarry and with me is Duncan Castles, as always. We will start off with some news, as we like to do, and that concerns Manchester's interest in a young Italian midfielder by the name of Sandro Tonali. He plays for Brescia. He has been favourably compared to the great Andrea Pirlo Duncan. Um, he certainly has the physical presence to play as a defensive midfielder. He can play the six or an eight. We can reveal that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sent a former Manchester United midfielder and former teammate uh, to watch Tonali earlier this month. That's how serious their interest is. And uh, the report we're told, was very positive when returned to the Manchester United manager. Uh, the former player also met with the player and his agent, Roberto da Florio, um, and a price we believe would be in around the 30 to 40 million euros range. Uh, now, for a 19-year-old, that may sound a lot of money, but these days, it probably isn't, given the money they paid for Juan Basaka, as you uh, will recall, £50 million. Duncan, um, this is an interesting one because obviously they lost under Herrera to PSG on a free. Uh, there are questions over Paul Pogba, uh, not just his fitness, we know he's not going to play until December, but also his uh, willingness to play in the double pivot alongside McTominay. Uh, his preference, obviously, to play on the left flank. Would you see someone like Tonali as being a fit for Manchester United? Well, they certainly need to reinforce the midfield. Um, as you say, Ander Herrera uh, lost because uh, uh, in Manchester United's initial position on renewing his contract was to offer him a significant pay cut, um, which w- resulted in, uh, at the point when he received a proper offer from a, a club that's actually in the Champions League for this season, Paris Saint-Germain, deciding uh, to go there instead. Um, they were happy to get rid of Marouane Fellaini um, in the last January window, um, a move that went down well with, I think, the majority of the support, but um, definitely lost them uh, some uh, qualities in midfield. Um, Fellaini was a player that could be used off the bench to turn games around with his height uh, and physicality and uh, and was a contributor to the team. Um, and, you know, as things stand, they've, they've basically been without Paul Pogba for um, 
I think the majority of uh, the first half of this campaign was with, uh, with Solskjaer saying that he doesn't expect Pogba back until December at the earliest. Um, so they're very short in that area. Um, they have seen Scott McTominay uh, further develop into uh, a player who, who I think you can say performs to a consistently high level in the Premier League now. Um, been in recent games has probably been the dominant figure for Manchester United in midfield um, but uh, they don't have a great deal of options uh, and they certainly don't have a great deal of Premier League experience there with um, your other uh, high quality international midfielder being Fred who is still adapting to the Premier League and um, hasn't actually played many games in the Premier League across his sort of first season and first um, third of uh, first quarter of this Premier League season so an addition would help I think the question mark you would have is whether if you want to make additions in midfield and, and there's a very good argument that I've just made that they need additions in midfield you go for a player of Tenali's age and lack of experience um, who obviously has never played in England um, you would be asking him to come in at a young age to uh, to be part of a Premier League midfield and, and I would argue that that's probably the hardest position to come into in the Premier League I think most players struggle with the adaptation process. Um, most overseas signings, you see a period where people question whether the clubs have made the right decision because it, it's very hard for them to make a, an initial impression and to be right on top of Premier League football uh, coming into it for the first time. But generally, given a season or two, um, they reach a higher level. I think Maurizio Pochettino uh, last week was talking about his signings this summer um, and, uh, and, and saying that he didn't expect the best from Dembele, Lo Celso, etc. for at least another season because that had been the pattern Tottenham had experienced when bringing younger um, talents uh, over to the Premier League, even though that the, with Tottenham you're talking about a club that's got a pretty high hit rate of turning them into uh, starting players for them and an effective starting player. So, so that would be a risk. I'm mean, talking to a, a friend in Italy who uh, knows Serie A very well. He rates Tonali, but is very much of the opinion that it, it would be too early for him to move to a, a top Premier League club at this stage. So. Um, <laughs> It fits that Manchester United recruitment policy in terms of this focus on younger players who they, they think can develop into uh, top-level talents, but whether that policy is the best one to follow, particularly for this position, is a thing you would, you would have a question over. Interesting, Duncan, though, that if you do recruit players of that age, then, of course, as a coach if they don't immediately perform or if you put them in and they're not quite as good as they're expected to be or their price tag suggests, then of course you can say, well, he's just a young lad. He has to develop. So it's a kind of win-win almost if you're a coach when you buy a player who's got potential and talent rather than as a finished article, like Pogba, of course, has received so much criticism for his performances in midfield because he came with a huge reputation and price tag. Yeah, and, and that might be strategic. I mean, we have seen... Jose Mourinho um, quite archly commenting about how he, he would like his next job 
to have the the job specification that Billy Gunnar Solskjaer has at Manchester United, which is um, uh, play youth and uh, no pressure to win anything, and um, always always talk about the future, the future, the future, um, and and that is very much the word around Manchester United and the word from Manchester United at, at present. It's you know we've, we've gone from this period of uh, we need success we need to be able to compete immediately with the top teams in the premier league for the title and we need to be com- to compete at high level in champions league to this argument which comes uh, from the club that they will need several transfer windows um, before they can even consider being competitive uh, at for for the premier league title again and and you you see you hear it again and again and again from Solskjaer's friends, uh, former teammates, the prominent Manchester United players in the media. I think we've had uh, Ryan Giggs um, in the last uh, last couple of days giving an interview to a Manchester United fanzine um, praising Solskjaer for the, the three players he brought in in the summer and then saying um, if they can get another five or six players like that in, we will see a real difference. They're missing that creative player. It's no coincidence the best performances have been against good teams, the lesser teams are always harder to break down. Uh, and then, you know, talking, being asked about Solskjaer's performances and the disappointment of them, he goes on to say he's going to need time since the manager left different philosophies and types of players and all he's trying to turn that around. He's looking at the future and trying to win games at the same time. It's difficult. When you're in a league with Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, fantastic established coaches, I don't care who came in, it was never going to be easy. And that, you know, that's, it's like the party political line that comes from Manchester United in defence of Solskjaer and I, I find that argument in particular about Klopp and Guardiola um, very easy to break down because um, we're not talking about Solskjaer being on the coattails of Klopp and Guardiola and and yes it would be very difficult for a manager of his stature um, with the squad he has to, to beat those two coaches but we're talking about um, a team that there are major question marks over whether they can even qualify for the Europa League next season, never mind um, be direct competitors with Klopp and Guardiola and um, if you are struggling to beat managers of far lesser stature um, than those two with um, far uh, lesser resources um, that's, that's the real assessment of whether that he's doing a good job or not in my view well, as football coaches will always tell you, the future often has a habit of uh, sneaking up on you and becoming the present and bites you in places you would rather not be injured. Um, we're going to stick with Manchester United for your first questions. Uh, we want to mention Udi, who's at Treble 3 who has asked a question which is similar to um, what the one I'm going to post to Duncan now from Mr Ole. I'm s- assuming that's maybe a reference to said Manchester manager and his question is about the Old Trafford Club. He says, Duncan, are United interested in Sumari and Dembele? We should say this is Musa Dembele, the Leon striker, who, of course, we have confirmed United's interest in previous pods. Duncan, what do you know about any interest in Bubakari and Sumari? 
Um, Bubba Samari is another of the players that uh, Lille have, have very successfully acquired and pushed into their first team. He's been a starting um, holding midfielder for them this season um, after they sold uh, their holding midfielder uh, to Lyon in the summer. Um, started and played all their games in the Champions League. Uh, very well regarded in the European game. No coincidence that that um, bigger clubs now go to Lille to to look at the players that their um, uh, chief recruitment uh, officer uh, Luis Campos scouts and uh, and and brings to Lille and then sells on to bigger clubs for huge profits. Something he's been doing year after year, club after club. Um, he is just twenty years old. Um, what I'm told, my understanding is that Manchester United have been in contact um, to inquire about the player, um, which would fit with um, your information about um, Tonali and uh, because he's in the same kind of category of player or a similar kind of category um, as Tonali and um, obviously a similar age and uh, and, the, and would fit that profile that uh, Manchester United have, have been focusing their recruitment on. Interestingly, I'm told that they have been given incorrect information that Sumari's contract expires at the end of the season um, and therefore believed he would be obtainable for a relatively low transfer fee, can tell you that Sumari's contract actually runs to 2022 um, and that there is significant interest in the player. I, I'm told that Lille already have an offer, a verbal offer uh, in the region of 40 million euros for Sumari. Um, so if United decide to go down that line, they will have to reanalyze on the basis that this is not going to be a cheap deal um, to achieve and uh, there will be a substantial transfer fee required to get him out of Lille, uh, be that in January, I think particularly in January. Um, I think the way Lille operate, they would be more open to selling a player in the summer when they have time to get his next, the next Sumari into the, the squad and, uh, and have him ready for next season's campaign. But with Lille, you know that if you meet their asking price, they will sell because that is the strategy of the club. Um, so uh, they're at least looking in the right place um, with a with a, a deal like Sumarian. Um, interestingly, seeing some quotes from the Brescia president, Massimo Cellino, um, who you will remember from his uh, controversial ownership of Leeds United about Tenali, um, and he's indicating that he values the player at 300 million euros at present, which um, I think is a kind of hyperbole we're, we're used to hearing from Cellino, but um, also an indication that that is again a club that sells, but perhaps a, a harder individual to deal with in terms of uh, uh, buying from Chilino um, than it would be to deal with a club like uh, Lille, who are more pragmatic in their in their dealings. Well, Duncan of Chilino is um, valuing uh, Tonali at three hundred million euros. I want to get him on the phone and see if I can sell you for somewhere near that amount of money. Uh, the podcast could do uh, with a bit of cash coming in. So I'm not sure what position you'd want to play, but obviously uh, it would be interesting to see what the valuation is in Mr. Chilino's, uh, well, let's just say bubble rather than anything else. Uh, we are going to stick with uh, Manchester United 
for one part of the next question, um, not often do we get uh, a question so politely phrased towards us, but also one which involves Liverpool and Manchester United in the same paragraph. And this comes from Winju at J understroke M-W-I-N-J-O-O, who asks Duncan, I have two questions for you and kindly discuss on the pod. Well, that's what we're going to do. First is, why are you always super negative about the affairs of Manchester United? Are we? I don't think we are. I think we're very fair. And second, what do you feel is the true value of Mo Salah in the current market? Let's go for super negative first, Duncan. What's going on there? Why are we being accused of being super negative? Uh, well, we're being accused of being super negative because someone perceives that to be the case. Um, are we super negative? Well, I think I think our listeners know that the, the way realistic. The transfer... I, I think super realistic is probably a better phrase. Indeed, I think that's our listeners know that on transfer window we tell it as it is and we don't sugarcoat it. And um, you know, let's just look at Manchester United. Uh, Worst start to Premier League season in 30 years. Three wins in 15 Premier League games. Um, uh, averaging less than a goal a game since Solskjaer was appointed full-time manager. I mean, you can reel through the statistics and you can look at all the other elements of the club, which are the ownership who are only interested in extracting cash. Um, a chief executive who... Um, is a chartered accountant and investment banker and has doesn't appear to have developed any substantial knowledge of football or skills in football despite the years he's been in charge. There are problems throughout it. Um, so you tell it as it is and that will come across as negative. But what exactly is positive about Manchester United at present? Um, you know, they don't even have a, a waterproof, fully waterproof stadium at the moment. The theatre of dreams has become the theatre of leaks. Um, it's there. There really isn't much to say that can be positive. And so, when you tell it as it is, um, it's probably going to come across as negative. So, Windsor, I hope that answers your question. And to reiterate what Duncan was just saying. Um, one of the reasons I think that people listen to the Transfer Window podcast is because they know they're not going to be fed BS from any club, any particular, uh, you know, people with uh, a, a particular manifesto that they want to get across. We are completely independent and we use fact-based uh, analysis and information that we garner ourselves in order to provide you with the best possible um uh, entertaining and, of course, more importantly, informative discussion about any club, not just Manchester United, but every other club as well. So um, thank you for your question. Keep listening. We're going to answer the second question now, which was, what's Mo Salah's current value in the market? Difficult one, this one, Duncan, because, you know, fees have been so grossly inflated. I guess we've got to take as the bar here at Neymar. Um, who clearly, uh, when purchased by Paris Saint-Germain, was regarded as one of the best players in the world. Uh, Salah, I think, is still is in that category. Um, realistically, as we like to be, what would you say would be a figure that would uh, enable uh, Salah to leave if he was being pursued by the likes of Real Madrid or Barcelona? Well, look, Salah will be 28 years of age um, this summer. Um, so you're getting to that period where if Liverpool want to cash in 
on him at the top of his transfer market value, it's going to have to be soon. Um, and his numbers are sensational. Uh, since joining Liverpool, his performances are um, of a level where you could see him reaching that kind of price that Neymar uh, reached or even going above it in the right circumstances. Liverpool have um, got him on a long-term contract, so they've, uh, they've secured the, their value there by um, tying him down in a way that they can control the situation as best possible, even if Salah um, agitates for a move this coming summer, which um, the word in football is there's a strong possibility that, that Salah will do so um, if the right suitor comes along in the summer. Um, you can see look, you can see the possibility with Real Madrid for sure, with Real Madrid's problems um, and the fact that they've uh, held back some of their um, money to spend on future transfers. You could see Real Madrid thinking about a deal like that, um, which then opens up the possibility of a of a huge transfer fee. You could, of course, see Paris Saint-Germain doing it if Neymar uh, finally moves away in the coming summer, which, of course, he will try and do again. Um, interestingly, the uh, someone who's you know in, intimately involved in um, Liverpool's recruitment, Ian Graham, who um, does their uh, statistical analysis in which they filter down players and decide whether they're the, the right ones um, to pursue in the transfer market, was asked that very question um, uh, very recently and. Uh, what the valuation of Salah would be, how much he would cost today. And um, his answer was to refer um, the questioner to the money they, they received for Philippe Coutinho as a benchmark. And then he said uh, something along the lines of, you'd be looking at a number like 150 million euros. And then he sort of quickly corrected himself and said, um, and if you came to us with that number, our answer would be no. So I think there you go. There's there's the, the, the ballpark. They would want at least 150 million euros. I think they could confidently expect um, to ask for 200 million euros. And in the right circumstances, um, I think they would have a good chance of getting 200 million euros in the, in the current market. Um, you know, Salah comes also, not only do you get a very effective forward. Um, you also get a lot of uh, marketing presence in in uh, in the Middle East and in um, North Africa. So uh, one of the reasons Chelsea signed Salah um, uh, in 2014 from Basel was that they they felt he had a, a commercial value on top of his footballing ability, and that and I think that assessment Chelsea made at the time has proven to be absolutely accurate in the sense that uh, you know Salah's turned into one of the superstars of, of football um, once he got the platform to to become. The, one of the most important players in, in, in the Champions League. I agree with you on valuation, Duncan. I, I think um, with Liverpool, they will look at the money they receive from Barcelona for Philip Coutinho uh, and base any potential value of Salah um, being obviously uh, of much more of value and effect than Coutinho uh, turned out to be for Barcelona and obviously now I'm on at Bayern Munich. So, uh, 
I, I suspect 200 million euros plus would be the asking price. Although Liverpool, in fairness to them, have shown themselves to be very tough negotiators when it comes to letting key players go. Remember Luis Suarez's situation when Arsenal offered uh, £40 million plus a pound because they believed that that was his release clause, which wasn't didn't happen to be the case. They kept him for a year, but told him they'd grant him his wish to move to Barcelona, and they did. Did the same with Felipe Coutinho, although Coutinho went six months or five months earlier than was originally planned because he went in the January window. Uh, to Barcelona if it's Real Madrid I think Salah understandably is going to be very tempted that's a club that needs further rebuilding um, in terms of uh, the playing staff as well so Salah playing on the right side of that uh, midfield uh, front three with Hazard on the left and then of course lots and lots of talk about the possibility of Kylian Mbappe joining Real Madrid next summer. Can you imagine just how potent a front three that would be? Incredible. Now we're going to move on to a different question now, which comes from Steel Armoured. And this is a very interesting one, Duncan, I think, for both of us. Uh, And I think also in the current context of where the Premier League is. And that he asks, can Leicester City win the title? And how would it go down at Liverpool if their ex-manager stopped them winning their first title for nearly 30 years? Let's give some context to this. How many Premier League titles do Leicester City have? One. How many Premier League titles do Liverpool have? None. Premier League, remember people, don't start texting us about the old First Division. Duncan, um, Brendan Rodgers, uh, 9-0. Win last Friday night against Southampton, equally Premier League records held by Manchester United. He's been talked about in terms of getting another, a, a bigger job. But, you know, is there a bigger job in Leicester City right now, given what he's doing, the finances he has at his disposal and the team he currently has? Well, look, he is in a wonderful situation. He's very intelligent in taking that Leicester City job. Um <laughs> He inherited a very strong squad with a, with a lot, in particular, of uh, young talent, um, and then uh, made what I think will turn out to be the deal of the season, um, and perhaps the transfer deal of the decade, in um, selling Harry Maguire for eighty five million pounds and strengthening his defence, um, and getting Johnny Evans and Kaglar Soyuncu, who are, are uh, I think, more intelligent in Johnny Evans and uh, faster um, in Soyuncu and a better um, overall partnership. And I think that's been demonstrated in the way Leicester have performed so far this season. Um, I don't think they can win the Premier League title. Um, I think Liverpool and Manchester City are just too strong for that to happen. Um, City two points ahead of Leicester as it stands. Liverpool eight points ahead. Would have been interesting if, if Leicester had managed to take a result from Anfield um, and uh, and, the, and that, that, that gap was smaller. But realistically, you can't expect Leicester City to do what they did a few seasons ago. Um, but what they did a few seasons ago was in a, a bizarre Premier League where all of the top teams um, were handicapped and in, in a poor um, state. Uh, Tottenham were the team that had the opportunity 
a real opportunity to win the Premier League. And Maurizio Pochettino, as has been sort of the history of, of his managerial career, was unable to find the decision-making and the tactical choices to convert that opportunity into um, a trophy. Uh, so, and I think the other thing about that Leicester City season was it took the majority of the Premier League far too long to work out the way they were playing. So they they had a very predictable and very effective style of play, um, hitting on the counter-attack, defending deep, hitting on the counter-attack, using their pace and using the, the quality of their passing to score goals. And the, the top teams were going into matches thinking it's Leicester City, we can play how we like and get results, instead of saying, actually, this team is winning consistently and they're doing it because they're playing this style, so we need to um, change our tactics uh, to take account of the way they play and make the game difficult for them and and get a result from it. So um, this isn't the season Leicester City won the league. The, The opposition is much stronger. What I think is now a real realistic possibility and we've discussed this in the podcast earlier is that um, Leicester City could qualify for the Champions League Um, you know if they get through to Christmas um, on a similar run of form as they have at present they're not conceding many goals at all Um, ironically hadn't been scoring that many until they they established that record against Southampton but they, they have goals in lots of areas of their team, and they have a, you know, they just have a lot of quality on the pitch, um, and they certainly have a momentum behind them that uh, the competitors for that Champions League pace, um, Arsenal, uh, and. Tottenham, and I'm not even going to include Manchester United here because I just don't think they're on a level with uh, Leicester City, um, do not have. Um, Chelsea have that momentum at present and Chelsea are level with them on points. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether Brendan Rodgers can can beat one of his other old clubs and, and have Leicester City in a, a higher position in the Premier League um, than Chelsea by the end of this season. No, I agree with you, Duncan. I'm not going to go as far as saying Leicester City could win the title. Um, I think it's too early to uh, give that kind of bold prediction for all the reasons that you've already outlined. What I would say is that if Leicester City continue to get results against everyone else outside of Liverpool and Manchester City, continue to not lose but and win the majority of games... They'll certainly be there challenging come the end of the season and then games against Liverpool and Manchester City will come into play with regards to where the title goes. So they will have a say in where the title goes even if they're not going to win the title themselves because they have a good enough team, I think, to match even Liverpool and Manchester City on certain days. Um, so I think it's interesting. I did have a, uh, a brief uh, message conversation with one of the Leicester City coaches uh, last weekend after that when at Southampton. Uh, it was a bit jokey. I just said, uh, quiet Friday night then. And the answer was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what do you think? Uh, and then on Sunday, the, the, the conversation resumed with bit unlucky to see City leapfrog you back in a second and the response came back we keep fighting and we'll try and catch them so they're not afraid they're definitely you know their mindset 
I don't think at, uh, at Leicester City, it's certainly not the case that they feel intimidated by City or by Liverpool. Um, let's face it, hey, what have they got to lose, Duncan? You know, no one expects them to, to win the Premier League title. So when it comes to facing City and Liverpool uh, in those, you know, big games, which will see points obviously swing one way or the other, then maybe Leicester City could be the bogey team. Well, look, we know that in Brendan Rodgers, they have a manager who has never, ever been short of self-confidence. So it comes as no surprise to me whatsoever that he is talking or talking of the possibility of getting above Manchester City in this reason, in this season's title race, because that is the way he's uh, worked throughout his entire time as a manager. And that takes us nicely to a question from Ed McDuffrey on a similar theme, who asks, will this kind of form, and I presume he means the Southampton game, now lead to Rodgers being installed in the discussions of other top-class managers for the elite clubs? He's been at Liverpool, Duncan, and obviously ended up uh, badly for him, uh, especially with his infamous Stevie Gerrard slip. And then losing the uh, lead to Crystal Palace in a season when really if they had pressed uh, on with their form, they could actually have ended that 30-year wait. Do you think, Brendan, someone who is attracting interest from... and People say elite clubs, and I understand why Leicester City fans feel aggrieved by that. I've seen it a lot on our Twitter line uh, and on our own personal um, uh, Twitter feeds as well, where people are saying, well, why would he want another job? Because he's got a great job at Leicester City. Um, why would he want to move? But, of course, there is always that a perception that Manchester United, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal are bigger jobs than Leicester City. Uh, I think we know uh, that Unai Emery's job is certainly under scrutiny, um, given the uh, the way in which Arsenal have begun this season, but also what seems to be a malaise in that squad. And also jobs like Everton under Marco Silva could be up for grabs. And of course, the age-old uh, you know, uh, story of will Pochettino stay or will he go continues to rumble on. Do you think Rodgers has a serious chance of being um, looked at by those clubs as a realistic candidate? Well, I don't think there is a, a snowball's chance in hell that um, he would go to Everton at present, um, given where he is and uh, and the relative quality of the squads and the resources available in terms of real spending power at Leicester compared to Everton. Um, he has been considered for the Arsenal job um, when Unai Emery uh, was appointed. Um, he's already had the Liverpool job, obviously. He is, um, I think, uh, will be in the thoughts of Chelsea. Um, were they to need another change of manager? And you have to say that uh, Frank Lampard's start as Chelsea manager has been so strong that you can probably scrub that off the list for a, a reasonable length of time, um, certainly quite a long length of time by Chelsea's standards. Um, Tottenham, I think, absolutely. Um, Maurizio Pochettino, I do not expect to be at Tottenham um, next season. And I know Daniel Levy likes Brendan Rodgers as a coach and has considered him in the past, so I think he will be very high on the list there. And then um, Manchester United, well, um, 
you know, said on the transfer window before that one of um, Brendan Rodgers' reservations about taking the Liverpool job was he felt that it would rule him out of the possibility of being Manchester United manager in the future. So that will tell you that he certainly has ambitions there. Um, I mean, you know Brendan better uh, than I do. What would your thinking be um, as to how he would respond where, for example, Tottenham um, or... Arsenal to say during this season um, we want you to come in now and replace our manager would he be strategic about it and think this isn't the right time to leave Leicester because he's on such a good thing there um, or would he say I, that's the opportunity it's an opportunity to, to make a step up in my career um, to have a better chance of winning trophies therefore I go for it So I don't think Brendan um, right now, it's in any, any hurry to leave Leicester City. I think he he does realise that he's got a, a quality and talented squad of players who can achieve a lot more than perhaps people think they can. Um, whether that's Champions League qualification or even winning a trophy this season, uh, a cup obviously would be the, the obvious one in the league or or the FA Cup. Um, I think given the manner in which he left Celtic mid-season last February to join Leicester City has um, given him food for thought with regards to um, how he should manage his future career. That's that's probably the best way to phrase it uh, because a manager changes jobs too quickly or very quickly is looked upon with suspicion in some quarters as being disloyal or not one for the long term. So, um, given the obviously the commitment that Leicester City has shown to him with regards to allowing him to uh, run his own transfer policy, uh, as you mentioned, selling Harry Maguire, uh, something which you know a lot of he didn't need to sell him. The money was there to keep him, but the player wanted to leave, and and Brendan saw an opportunity to improve his squad as a result, not because of the money that was brought in, but because he saw Maguire as someone who was replaceable. Uh, which apparently Manchester United felt that's not the case. He's, he, you know, he's become the, you know, the cornerstone in their defence. So, um, in answer to the question, would he leave this season? I think probably not. I think he's clever enough to realise that uh, following Pochettino at Spurs means winning a trophy very quickly because that's what the fans are expecting. Whereas following Emery. Um, who obviously was first man in after Wenger. Well, maybe that'd be more attractive in the sense that the bar's lower um, with Arsenal. But at the same time, uh, fans will expect a much bigger upgrade in performances as well as um, ability to challenge in uh, all competitions from their next manager. Brendan's still a young man. Uh, he knows he's got you know a, a lot of time left in his coaching career. Uh, he's, I doubt and I don't believe he's in any great hurry to leave Leicester City. And indeed, if anything, his stock continues to rise uh, as long as uh, his team continue to play the way they are in a very entertaining fashion as well as being very effective. And of course, um, a very uh, impressive league campaign thus far. Um, and in third position in the Premier League, somewhere where they didn't never expect it to be. So 
I would very much doubt that if the opportunity arose in this current season for him to move to so-called top four club, that he would be rushing into Duncan. I think there would be a little bit of um, sort of circumspection for him and think, well, you know, why should I change clubs for the second time in what would be a year or a year and a half? Um, maybe I'm best off staying where I am. See how the land lies at the end of this current season with Leicester City if they qualify for Champions League um, or better. Um, and then, you know, he, he's in a position of strength. As I said, his stock is high and yes, he's very self-confident about his ability. So he will see his stock as rising in the future as well, which will make him think, well, yeah, it's no rush. Um, very happy to beat Leicester City, very happy to improve this team, show everyone else what I can do as a coach. And then if a job comes up that makes me really sort of believe that it's the right thing to do to leave, then that's when that will happen. I suppose part of his calculation has to be that you can only give your life once as a football manager. So you really have to take, bear that in mind. Unless you've got nine lives, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> and I suspect Brendan may, may well have more than one uh, well, I, I think, past, past uh, statements <laughs> uh, yeah I think, I think Brendan even if he had nine lives would believe he had twelve and a half wouldn't he so it's Wednesday's pod people which means it's the highlight of the week in terms of our finale it is uh, the coveted donkey award where else would we look for inspiration this week than the great man himself, not of Aberdeen, but of granite, that's for sure, Xhaka. We're going to award this week's donkey in honour of his tremendous performance, uh, probably one of the highlights of his um, season so far, when he was substituted last Sunday at the Emirates and, of course, decided to give a bit back to the fans who were booing him. So this week's Donkey Award is the award for the Granite Xhaka Biggest Strop in Football Award. We've got some very, very good contenders, I think, Dunks. So I'm just going to open the old golden envelope here. Just let me get it There we go. No expense spared on the transfer window. So, nominations for the Granite Xhaka Biggest Strop in Football Award this week are... The one and only William Gallas, the man who once said, and this isn't the strop, by the way, that he would rather score an own goal against Chelsea when he's playing for Chelsea than not leave the club. Uh, but his strop, in terms of his superstardom, really uh, came to light when he was um, protesting against a penalty awarded to Birmingham City in a Premier League game in 2008, when he walked from his penalty box, where obviously the penalty had been awarded, and sat in the centre circle, effectively uh, in a massive cream puff, uh, protesting about the award itself. Um, more sort of um, symbolic, Duncan, than actual Granite Xhaka, you know, action against the fans, but but nonetheless impressive. Uh, our second nomination is uh, Mini Sam, Phil Brown. Uh, I can only imagine that he fires up his Ford Cortina these days, because obviously Sam's got the Granada. Um, <laughs> and uh, this came, you'll remember, in the same season, actually, as um, William Gallas, 2008, when his Hull City team conceded four goals to Manchester City in 36 minutes. And uh, Mini Sam decided that the best thing to do uh, to respond to his uh, team's very, very meek 
uh, performance in the first half was to prevent them from going in the dressing room and having their cup of tea and half an orange. Instead, he just made them sit down in their own half on the pitch, on the wet and the cold, on Boxing Day, I think it was. And he went round each one of them wagging his finger in uh, absolute frustration and also in retribution to each of the players uh, who he felt had let him down and let, indeed, the famous orange shirt of Hull City down. Very, very good strop, that one. Uh, Our third one, and this one comes not on the field but off it, but nonetheless, it was very, very impressive, goes to Pep Guardiola, who, on his coronation as the coach who first won the domestic treble in the history of English football, i.e. after the FA Cup final last May, he was asked what was, we have to say, a very fair and um, credible question by Rob Harris, a journalist, about if he had ever received a payment, in quotations, off the books, i.e. from a third party in his time as Manchester City manager, because it was a theme uh, at that time that Roberto Mancini had been had been revealed he had received such a payment. Um, and it's fair to say, Duncan, that his response was, um, yeah, let's just say cream puff doesn't quite describe it. But I'm going to turn it over to you to give us your views on all three candidates and, of course, present that donkey itself. Well, um, William Gallus, I was actually covering that game at, at Birmingham City when he when he had his uh, sit-down protest. Um, I'm, I'm going to exclude him here because... He has uh, interviewed William Gallus during his career. Um, very intelligent, very passionate um, man. Um, also, I think, an excellent footballer at the peak of his career. Really, really good defender, particularly in Premier League context. Um, so I can kind of understand where he was coming from. Um, it came from the right place, if, even if it wasn't the right thing to do. Phil Brown, yes, um, I'd love... Sorry, Duncan, just, I just want to ask you a question. Was William Gallus's response the first ever attempt at VAR? <laughs> <laughs> was it was it PAR? <laughs> Player assisted refereeing. <laughs> Player assisted refereeing. I think we've had a few attempts at them before, but uh, oh, Willie, was, uh... Willie Miller being the obvious one, clearly. <laughs> Well, his entire career was uh, player-assisted refereeing. I'm sure Graham Hunter would uh, would <laughs> regale you with the de- details of that. Um, Phil Brown, strong candidate, um, and yes, uh, uh, no real surprise that he um, he of uh, Mini Sam um, uh, came up with such an idea to uh, to kind of uh, express his disgust at his players. Um, very very uh, PR focused, but um, I think this has to go to Pep Guardiola um, I think if you don't remember the questioning or you haven't seen his response you should uh, search it out in fact we will we will uh, retweet it onto the transfer podcast um, timeline a little video of Pep Guardiola's volcanic reaction to that question um, he, he says do you think I deserve to have to answer this type of question and 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 uh, attacks back at Rob Harris. The, the Manchester City press officer tries to call an end to the questioning, um, and Pep can't help himself and goes goes for another attack at Rob Harris, saying, "Are you accusing me? Are you accusing me if I receive money from other situations?" And complaining that he be asked such a thing on um, the day of his uh, treble triumph. But interestingly, not actually denying that he had received the same 
type of payment that uh, there's been evidence presented by Der Spiegel that Robert Roberto Mancini received during his employment by Abu Dhabi, which was to have a very large chunk of money paid for him to be uh, a uh, working for one of the Abu Dhabi um, football clubs. Uh, I think it was Al Jazeera was the the club um, as a consultant. And um, if you remember our um, uh, podcast where we talked to Kevin Affleck, who uh, who used to work for um, uh, some of the people involved in, in the running of Manchester City when he was uh, an Abu Dhabi newspaper, um, recalling that he his offices were very close to Al Jazeera's and he never, ever um, saw Mancini appear uh, in Abu Dhabi during that period in which he was being paid substantial sums of money um, to consult for the club. So Pep Guardiola wins this one. Pep, we hope you've got room in that very crowded trophy cabinet for your donkey, because obviously it will be taking centre stage, I'm sure. Um, this has been Wednesday's Transfer Window podcast. It's been your questions answered, and thank you very much for those that uh, you sent in that we talked about. But thank you also to those who sent questions we didn't get round to. Don't let that in any way stop you from doing it again next week for Wednesday's podcast. As you know, we love to get you guys involved. We love to hear your views. We love to engage with you as well, which is why uh, if you uh, contact us on at Transfer Podcast, at Duncan Castles or at Garbo SJ, you will find that we will continue this debate in between and after the pods are out. As ever, if you like what you hear, then please go on to iTunes, give us a five-star review. This increases the community. And of course, it gets us all talking more and more about the things that you care about most in football. We will be back on Friday with the pod. Until then, we will see you through the transfer window. Thanks for listening.